all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 135 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this can be no other episode other than the sesquiquadrate episode of the SLS Cast. Because, turns out that in astrology, you can have an astrological aspect occur called a sesquiquadrate. That, uh, that happens when two planets are exactly 135 degrees apart. That's right, and with that little bit of sesquiquadrate knowledge, I, of course, am Matt, and coming to us from his home, where he has his own little robotic buddy called the Quirio, Q-R-I-O, it's... So how long did it take you to master sesquiquadrate? In preparation for this episode. <laughs> okay, so you know how we, ha- we we do our little dead air thing so that we can make sure to have masters for um, noise cancellation and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. During that silence period, I'm literally running through it in my head. I'm going, Seska Quadrate, Seska Quadrate, Seska Quadrate. <laughs> I'm just sitting there reading it over and over so I would make sure to have that right as soon as uh, I jumped in with it. I, I mean, I would have gotten it wrong right off the bat. I would have said like, Sasquatchahydrate or something. Because, you know, even Sasquatches <laughs> have to hydrate as hydrate. well. Hydrate. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, Monday, Monday, Monday. It's a Monday today. What's your name, dude? Huh? You never got around to your name. My name? Uh, uh, not Monday. <laughs> My name is Monday. <laughs> July Monday. <laughs> Tim. There we yeah, go. Yeah, it's not as awesome. fun. But, Tim, I saw something really stupid every day, but particularly on, on Twitter, it was, I I, you know, I think it was, I, I could be totally wrong, but uh, I, I'll just, well, forget what I said. I did not say the name of a particular establish, establishment, establishment that might brew their own beer and have various appetizers that are well known in certain communities well they'd had this tweet on twitter and it said that we will give you free food if you legally name your child quinoa that is one of the dumbest things i have heard in quite some time yes i'm going to name my child quinoa just so i can get a free pazuki for life well, that that's that's good. How 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 does your uh, significant other feel about that? No, I, I mean I'm not going to do that. I'm just complaining about it. Oh, I thought you were saying that you were actually going to go ahead and do oh, this. Oh no! I mean, well, cause... I need a child for one. Can I na- rename one of your kids? And <laughs> well, I mean, you do have to bring the food with you then. Yeah. when you come. <laughs> oh my goodness! Now that definitely is kind of weird. I mean, it's one of those. It's like one of those. Things where people try and name their kid like um, Nike or something like that, uh, hoping for free publicity. Like there was a lady, I want to say, who did that. She was selling her baby's name uh, to the highest bidder and as like a promotional stunt to pay for like his college and stuff. 
And so she was really hoping for something like Nike or whatever. And I don't think it worked out. And then there was like one guy who got a porn website, like literally plastered, tattooed all over his face, also for advertising purposes. So, yeah, I'm not... uh... I'm pretty sure they both got slapped with a lawsuit. You know? I have no idea. I I have... uh, Yeah. I I don't know. It's weird. (laughs) And if you got, like, Pornhub or whatever slapped on your face, I I don't think... You know, you're never going to be asked the, the only, question. I don't think what that's the only you thing you're getting slapped on your face. What's that? If you know what I mean. I said, if you have Pornhub slapped on your face, I don't think that's the only thing you haven't slapped on your face, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Needle. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, let's see. My week. My week. Uh, well, here we are on the 6th of July. So we've uh, celebrated America's birthday, as it were, 239th, even. And that's all, folks. <laughs> um, so let's see. Uh, Friday, I went out to St. Arnold Brewery, and Ooh. which is a Houston brewery here, and they had a big, huge barbecue spread. Which you can only get uh, in out. Houston, still, right? Had they? They haven't expanded. No, it's all over. Well, I mean, I know it's all over Texas anyway. I don't know if it is. Or no, not um, Texas. Yeah, it's all over. Uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Only in Texas yeah. is what I meant. Yes, I, I am not sure if it is available beyond the borders of Texas um, without, like, trying to special order it or whatever. At any rate, um, so they had a thing there. So they had brats and pulled pork, brisket, um, German potato salad, uh, a broccoli salad and stuff like that. Uh, you know, lots of fun. And then, of course, the, the big draw, naturally, is all the beer you can drink. And uh, so we so definitely did that. My dad came into town. And so we all went out there and had a blast doing that. And then, uh, speaking of blasts, on Saturday for the 4th, we actually stayed here at the house and grabbed some beers and pulled out on the driveway and set off a copious amount of fireworks. And, um, yeah, had, had a really good time. Also got my new grill, finally. Got an Oklahoma Joe grill with smoker box attachment. It's a, a barrel-style charcoal grill. And so we uh, broke that in <laughs> properly with steaks and pork chops and all sorts of goods. Nothing sounds more 4th of July Texan like an Oklahoma Joe grill. It's it's very yeah. it's very down-homesy, you know. Come on, honey, we're getting the Oklahoma Joe out and we're cooking some meat. <laughs> well, you know, um, I would have to say that barbecue aficionados would would at least appreciate knowing the type of grill that I have um, if there are any that listen and or care so did you drink like real American beer like PBR or Lone Star because <laughs> because we know Texas is American it, it's all of America right yeah, that's what sure yeah. sure and and you know Lone Star being the national beer of Texas um which is their actual slogan, people? That was not a mis. That was not a mistake. They actually that is their the national beer of Texas. Um, no, I, um, I I was drinking. What the hell was I drinking? Oh, I was drinking some shiners. I did have sh- some shiner beers. Um, I had some chocolate stout that uh, from my beer guy. All my beer in my fridge is from my beer guy. So I was drinking all sorts of fun stuff. Ooh. That's nice. Yeah. I, I like Indeed. that a lot. Then, That's fun. 
Yeah, and so um and and then Sunday was just pretty much kind of kicking back, relaxing, recovering from the weekend, and uh here we are today. Did you uh, let your children drink any beer? No. Oh. I'm starting to understand why you don't have children. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that might that might be one reason why, but I think there's a whole slew of other other things that uh that are Yes, that. but we don't want to talk about your legal troubles with the Oral B. That that's not what this show's all about. <laughs> Apparently, they frown at having things stored in your rectum on the daily. Uh, indeed. Oh my goodness. But what about you? What'd you do this weekend? Well, okay, well we were doing a lot of stripping here in California. Stripping, I know where your mind went there. No, we were stripping a coffee table. We were refurbishing a coffee table. The GF, she had a very lovely China-made coffee table uh, that was painted mint. And she loved it. I'm, I'm not a mint guy. And I kind of persuaded her to paint it. And so we spent hours in, I think, three days in a, yeah, three days in a row pay, uh, stripping the sucker down, trying to get all the paint and whatever from the mint paint from all the grooves and the creases and the crevices Maybe not creases, but I guess the crevices of the uh, of the coffee table. And then we uh, spent yesterday. We didn't repaint it, but we stained it. So we stained that sucker, and it's all lacquered up. It's beautiful. But for Fourth of July Saturday, we spent celebrating our nation's freedom in no better place than a cemetery, watching Top Gun. Viewing fireworks that were being shot off in the cemetery. <laughs> and uh, eating bread, cheeses, vegetables, eating fruit, as well as drinking copious amounts of Tecate and various Golden Road beers. Which, Golden Road is a Los Angeles beer, which is very good. So that, that was my 4th of July. And I gotta say, it was very eerie because the cemetery, and I've talked about the cemetery screenings at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery a few times on the show. Uh, And that's where, like, Marilyn Monroe is buried, and a whole bunch of people are buried there. But Tony Scott, the director of Top Gun, is actually buried there. And it was a little eerie. And that's the the guy who who curated the movie came up, and that was one of the first things he said. So it kind of put a little awkward damper on the situation. But then the fireworks happened, and that was explaining... uh, and it's funny, because I still don't like the movie anymore, but I found it more enjoyable watching it with a crowd of people, because the homoeroticism is more more so blatant when you have people catcalling at the screen when Val Kilmer is... When he does his awesome little bite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like when he's, when he's blocking Tom Cruise from leaving the bathroom, or when Tom Cruise <laughs> is, has his leg up on a bench with Goose's face at his dick level. You're only wearing a towel, and there's an obvious like gap there where Goose is, you know, getting a look at the prime shop oh, yeah. there. So, oh yeah, and and of course, I mean the eponious volleyball scene as well. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of that very interesting brosive smack hands, normal way, and they're going to do the underhand way to where it's barely touching each <laughs> other's ass. So did you play any Mav Mav Goose? <laughs> so Mav Mav Goose. Uh, so I yeah. So I, how did that start? I forget. I, I there was so oh. much paint 
fumes that I was inhaling. I kind of no. I understand. I understand. Uh, let's see here. Let me pull up the old messages. Uh, let's see here. So we've got um, in our first segment of messages from Tim, we have libido cheese. Happy fourth. That was you. And then I sent back, thanks, enjoy yourself on America's birthday. And you said, seeing Top Gun in a cemetery, life and death celebration. And I said, LOL, nice. And then I asked, or I said, you should see if anyone wants to play Duck, Duck, Goose. And then you said, Goose, Goose, dead. And I said, better yet, Mav, Mav, Goose, whoever gets picked Goose just falls over. (laughs) And it works. I think we should start teaching kids <laughs> that version pronto. I agree. That uh, would definitely be the way to go. But I guess beyond that, did you want to know anything more about the Curio, or are you just going to let that go? Do we have time? Because you have news of the weird. I do have news of the weird. Basically, it was just a robot oh. um, that didn't that never went anywhere. Oh. Was it a a pleasure bot? I don't know because it looks like it's it looks like its head is upside down. I, you know, you probably could pleasure yourself with this bot. <laughs> I don't know. You know, not, I, you know, I'm just guessing. Anyway, all right. So yeah, we do have news of the weird. But before I get to the news of the weird, I do want to check the mailbox, the good old email box at the show at slscast.com. We do have one thing in here, and it looks like we picked up a new follower on Twitter. Uh, Doc Winters at Doc Winters is a cosplayer of minor renown, writer of the upcoming novel Chicago Sunset, Nano Remo enthusiast, part-time zombie hunter, writer of many questionable fan fictions. From Australia, no less. So that's fun. He's following us at the SLS cast, and he's also following me at nitwit12345. I assume he's probably following you too, Tim? He is. He's following me at... (laughs) (laughs) That is a really long Twitter handle. All right, so that's all we have in here. Uh, So my news of the weird, because naturally, when Gaston from Disneyland passes away, we should hear about it. From theinquisitor.com, Um, And I have no direct attribution, so I... Oh, look, no, never mind. Tony Matthews. Thank you to Tony Matthews for providing this, because without this, I would not have found it. Devin Staples killed after fireworks exploded on his head. Quote, there was no Devin left, end quote. That's the title of this sad, sad article. And once again, proving that... Drunkenness and fireworks simply don't fucking mix. Any time of the year, doesn't matter. You know, yeah. Calais, Maine native Devin Staples is dead thanks to a fireworks stunt gone horribly wrong. The 22-year-old was killed instantly after he placed a, quote, reloadable fireworks mortar tube on his head and set it off, end quote. The Banger Daily reports that the accident occurred on Saturday at a party in a friend's backyard. The time of the incident was around 10 p.m. The deceased man's brother, Cody Staples, was only five feet away when the nightmare scene played out. Quote, I was the first one who got there, figuring you were five fucking feet away, I suppose so. Sorry, that was an interjection. Let me start over. Quote, I was the first one who got there. There was no rushing him to the hospital. 
There was no Devon left when I got there, end quote. So what happened? He what's a reloadable yeah. a reloadable firecracker? Okay, basically no no, all right. Uh, this guy oh and by the way this was a dude who was a marine and who also i love this is uh who who was who played the who who lived in florida and played the role of gaston at disneyland or so, disneyland or folks, disney world folks that's disney world no that's it's literally written in here is don devon staples lived in florida and played the role of gaston at disneyland disneyland being two words so no it's disney world miss williams just or i'm sorry miss matthews just just to let you know Florida is Disney World, two words. California is Disneyland, one word. Anyway, uh, yeah, so basically what he did was uh, it, apparently his friends are saying, all of the friends and family are saying he was drunk, yes, but it was just supposed to be a gag. He was not actually intending to light it, but I guess he, if he was using a punk or the lighter or something, accidentally got too close. But... Um, okay, so whenever you're looking at fireworks and you look up in the air and you see the big, you know, you just see that little big spiral thing go up and then all of a sudden huge explosion, that is a mortar. And it actually comes from a mortar uh, cannon, basically, or tube is, you know, glorified tube is what it is with a, with a stand on the bottom. And so he put that on his head, put a mortar into it, and then apparently by the accounts of family and friends, accidentally lit it now the marines are the marine department of public safety said quote when devin staples suggested he was going to do this his friends gathered around him and they thought they had convinced him not to do it end quote so uh, it's also noted here in the article that staples was not sober at the time of the incident um yeah don't be an idiot, people. Don't drink and do stupid shit, please. Otherwise, you're going to get made fun of on a podcast of little renown. <clears throat> to borrow from our friend Doc Winters. And at that moment, you will fully realize how low you actually sink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So, I'm thinking, without uh, any further ado, should we go ahead and get to the real stuff? Sir? Yeah, about ten minutes late, but let's do it. All right, folks, here we go. The news! And first up for me, from theskytimes.com, and let's see here, nope, still not, this time really no direct attribution, The Frozen Effect, Elsa re-enters list of 500 most popular baby names after 97 years. That's right, folks, seems that a lot of new parents are fans of Frozen. The girl's name, Elsa, is listed as the 286th most popular name in the United States for the first time in over 97 years. Since 1917, if you can't do the math. And it's no surprise that the insanely popular Disney film probably has something to do with it. <sighs> they literally also go in and categorize in this article uh, Hans and Olaf and Sven. Folks, I, I really enjoy Frozen. I thought Frozen was a great movie. I still stand by that. I, with three daughters, I have definitely seen it countless number of times. But do you have to start naming your kids 
fucking Olaf? Seriously? See, I could even halfway understand Elsa. Fucking Olaf? Really? <sighs> I Yeah. I, I don't know. Would you care to jump in on this stupidity, sir? Well, uh, that means there will be more elderly women in about 50 years named Elsa. It's like a full circle with names. You know, you're you're a kid and you're like, why the hell would somebody want to name their child Agatha? Because that's like the typical grandmother name or not, maybe not Agatha, but, you know, whatever elderly woman stereotypical name. Well, it's because of stuff like this. Yay. There's, every grandmother's going to be named Elsa in about 60 years. Just just wait for it. <laughs> and until then, let it go. All right, what do you got, sir? Actually, my internet, fro- everything's frozen, so if you want to go ahead and do your next one. It's not <laughs> responding. It really frozen? It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. All right, well, then we're just going to jump in here. I'll do another short one. So hopefully if yours comes back, uh, you'll be able to jump back in. From DSLReports.com, by way of Carl Bode, Chicago to apply 9% Netflix tax. God, what the fuck is wrong with people in Chicago? Um, You need to, like, seriously adjust who you elect over there, people. Netflix service in Chicago is about to get notably more expensive. On the hunt for new revenue, Chicago's Department of Finance is applying two new rules that would impact companies like Netflix and Spotify. One covers, quote, electronically delivered amusements, end quote, and another covers, quote, non-possessory computer leases, end quote. Together, they form a unique and troubling new attempt by cities to tax any city resident that interacts with, quote, the cloud, end quote. According to the Chicago Tribune, streaming service providers need to start collecting the tax starting September 1st. The new tax is expected to net the city of Chicago an additional $12 million annually. Uh, Let's see here. Here is a quote, but it does not say where it is from. Uh, I imagine it's probably from, oh, it's it's from the city's new ruling here. Quote, the amusement tax applies to charges paid for the privilege to witness, view, or participate in an amusement. This includes not only charges paid for the privilege to witness, view, or participate in amusements in person, but also charges paid for the privilege to witness, view, or participate in amusements that are delivered electronically. End quote there. Um, a Netflix representative tells The Verge, quote, jurisdictions around the world, including the U.S., are trying to figure out ways to tax online services. This is one approach. End all quotes. What do you think there, Tim? Is is this some creative accounting? No, it is not creative accounting. (laughs) (laughs) What gets me is that Netflix is already going to increase their prices eventually, especially when we start moving into 4K streaming. Sure. It, people aren't just gonna. People aren't gonna deal with that crap. Or I mean, well, actually, they know that people are gonna deal with that crap because of how popular Netflix is. It's just a a crappy move. But you know, something to uh, that that kind of goes along with that is that here in uh, in Anaheim, in the Orange County area, uh, the city wants to put an entertainment tax on Disneyland. So everything, every time you buy a ticket or do you know spend money at Disneyland. You'll have to pay an entertainment tax. But Disney turned around and said, hey, look, we're going to invest a billion dollars into the infrastructure of our park as well as the surrounding streets. 
But we will only do that if you do not impose this entertainment tax. So, I don't know. Maybe Netflix should build some streets in Chicago. It's really, it, it is really fucking stupid, especially on things like that, because the government is already getting sales tax. So, when you purchase something, like a ticket to Disneyland, you are paying the sales tax on that. And, and I'm fine with that, because you know what? You bought something. So, you buy something, sales tax, great. That's what sales tax is for. And, for example, like here in Texas... Texas applies sales state sales tax to anything purchased, including on the internet. So my my Netflix for the next I don't remember how long it's going to be is still seven ninety nine. Of course, it's eventually going to go up, but uh, but I pay eight dollars and sixty five cents a month because I pay sales tax on that. And me, that's fine. I bought something, I paid for it for this month, and I pay. But to deliberately apply a nine percent tax, it's it's just. It's uh, it, it makes me angry, you know. Clear, it's just, it, and that's the thing is that it's just simply a money grab. So, oh God. Anyway, how 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 about you, sir? Do you have anything uh, to any story? I have for many, <laughs> but hang on, my first one is finally coming up. Um, okay, Ooh. and first up for me, finally. Producer Jerry Weintraub dies at the age of 77. This is from TheHollywoodReporter.com. I'm just going to read the first few paragraphs here, and then I'm going to read off a couple uh, titles that he was involved with, because it's pretty... A lot of the movies he was... Or a lot of the stuff he was a part of is pretty cool. Or the number of things that he was a part of is pretty cool. A steely, hard-charging personality, he was wildly successful in a wide-ranging entertainment career that spanned more than 50 years... Jerry Weintraub, who produced such hits as The Karate Kid and The Ocean Series, died Monday of cardiac arrest in Santa Barbara. His publicist said he was 77. A promoter and impresario in the old sense, Weintraub was a larger-than-life, Damon Runyon-esque character. A steely, hard-charging personality, he was widely successful in a wide-ranging entertainment career that spanned more than 50 years. Before his success as a motion picture producer, Weintraub was a force in the management and musical fields. He spent more than two decades promoting concerts in some of the top musical acts in the world. Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, Bob Dylan, Dolly Parton, the Beach Boys, the Pointer Sisters, and John Denver among them. His foray into movies came across a Weintraub-produced Denver performance where he met director Robert Altman, who sent him on a prospective project. Nashville. The 1975 film went on to garner five Oscar nominations, including one for Best Picture. In 1983, Weintraub signed a three-year write-off first refusal with Columbia Pictures. He also produced TV programs and a wide range of films, beginning with Nashville, which he executive produced. His films also include Diner, Oh God, September 30th, 1955, Cruising, three sequels to Karate Kid, and the HBO's Behind the Candelabra, winner of 11 Emmy Awards, including one trophy for him. And uh, that was an article from The Hollywood Reporter written by Dwayne Burge. But uh, to list off a couple uh some films here. He was a producer on an upcoming Tarzan movie, uh, upcoming uh, Westworld, uh, which is a TV series based off the Yul Brynner uh, futuristic Western film. 
he did the do- uh, produce the documentary Red Army, uh, the doc- documentary Forty One. We mentioned the Karate Kid, uh, also the newer Karate Kid, uh, Behind the Candelabra, uh, the All the Oceans movies, uh, The Independent. Soldier from 1988, The Avengers from 98, Vegas Vacation, The Specialist, Pure Country, The Karate Kid TV series, uh, Happy New Year, My Stepmother is an Alien, and uh, various other things as well. He also did the TV movie documentary Frank Sinatra, The Main Event, which did around the time as An Evening with John Denver. So yeah, Jerry Weintraub, a prolific producer in Hollywood passed away at 77 years of age wow all right well that is definitely prolific uh let's see i'm gonna go ahead and call my news here so that uh tim can get a chance to catch up due to some uh internet issues uh so we're gonna go from here uh comicbook.com by way of andrew steinbeiser ben affleck took role in batman v superman partially to learn how to direct a similar movie like the dark knight himself ben affleck seems to find victory in foresight on top of taking the role of batman in batman v superman dawn of justice because well, it's Batman. Affleck wanted to learn how blockbuster films were made from the inside out. It's obviously been a while since Affleck tackled high-profile film, with Batman v Superman as the first true effort since Daredevil. So the actor-director decided he'd brush up on the ropes before tackling his own franchise feature. Quote, I thought if I was going to direct a movie like this, which I would like to do at some point, I need to have something of a refresher course on how these movies are done, end quote, Affleck told Entertainment Weekly. But... What could one of those movies be? Affleck is currently rumored as a directorial candidate for Warner Brothers' planned solo Batman film, in which he would also star. The directing starring combination would certainly be a first for the superhero movie business, but it's unlikely that Warner Brothers is waiting to see... I'm sorry. But it's likely that Warner Brothers is waiting to see how audiences respond to Affleck in front of the camera before putting him behind it. What do you think there, Tim? Is Mr. Steinbeiser... Uh, correct in his assumptions of waiting to see how it goes before they officially let Affleck. Well, loose. what gets me is that Affleck is a, you know, is already an established director. So I don't know if that is really the reason why. It, it sounds a little, little funky. Well, I mean, he's never. Well, yeah, but he's never done a major big budget film, and he's never done a superhero film of any magnitude so i mean i could certainly understand his like his quote there from entertainment weekly certainly being valid um i mean clearly i mean we're talking about the guy who ran with ben affleck or with matt damon who ran project Greenlight. Yeah. i think it was with hbo for aspiring filmmakers and everything so i mean clearly he knows what he's doing but um as we've seen, as we were just talking about with uh, um, the guy from Chronicle and uh, Fantastic Four. Just because you can do one kind of movie doesn't necessarily mean that you can immediately jump into a different type of movie, especially at humongous budgets and those kinds of things as well. Anyways, I guess that's all I have to say about it. Good job, Matt! Uh, okay, Thanks. so I have uh, quite a bit of kind of not really stuff to get through. But it's very interesting stuff. First up, from Collider.com, exclusive R-rated chips. Greenlit, Michael Pena confirms comparison to Lethal Weapon. This is by Matt Goldberg, uh, and this was published uh, sometime last week. And I mean chips as in the TV show Chips. 
from the 70s that ran from 77 to 1983. One of their correspondents on Collider recently spoke to Michael Pena for Ant-Man, and I'm quoting Collider right here, and their conversation touched on chips and the project status. Pena said that the project was greenlit two or three weeks ago, which means he's been preparing for the role. Quote, I had to start learning how to ride a motorcycle, rehearsing, and then working out. I've been throwing up, like, every day after workouts. I like food, you know? And I also like reading, being on my iPad, no walks in the park, just chilling with my son. We just lounge in this, he gestures to his stomach, gets bigger. End quote. Pena also revealed that the movie would be set in the present day and reiterated Shepard's earlier statement that the film would be in the vein of Lethal Weapon. Specifically, don't expect a comedy that's barraging you with jokes. Quote, It's more like a Lethal Weapon where there's a lot of action and what we wanted to do is if there's any comedy that we do, it's not like one-liners here and there, like we're the guys always being stand-up comedians. It's almost like you lose a little bit of the plot line whenever you're off doing your own comedy thing, so we're focusing a little more on the plot, if that makes any sense whatsoever. End all quotes. Now, this kind of reminds me, and it only reminds me because looking down at this article, they mention here Starsky and Hutch, the take on the, the classic TV show, the Ben Stiller and Owen, Owen Wilson take on it. They played Starsky and Hutch. That was a to me that was a great movie because it was like the TV show but the TV show watching it now is so ridiculous that there is no way to make a movie of that TV show now and and really pass it off as something real. So they took the movie and they had fun with it and they did a lot of winks to the to the to the classic TV show even with the cameos of the original actors. So it was a whole lot of fun and I loved how they took the material and made it their own, and had fun with it at the same time. Now with Chips, I see where they're wanting to go with the with you know with the idea, with the movie idea of you know making it more like lethal weapon. But what's really the point? You know, I was mentioning to Matt earlier, they could have just had two guys who happen to be chips and, you know, make a movie out of that. I really didn't I just the idea of there being you know, slapping the Chips logo on it just didn't really make any sense. Same thing with Miami Vice. It was a very serious, not really all that fun, action-y movie. And there is really no reason for it to be called Miami Vice. Matt, what do you think? Is this something that you're interested in or not really care about? Or Well, I mean, with the proliferation of the PG-13 rating, I'm, it's at least piqued my curiosity. So I sincerely hope that they make it a worthwhile effort. In other, hopefully R-rated news, Suicide Squad, the upcoming DC villain uh, Avengers-esque type of movie, is well underway with their filming. And this is from eonline.com. Yes, Matt's favorite website, eonline. News, Suicide Squad has an on-set therapist for its cast. This is written by Mark Malkin. And it says this, Suicide Squad is going to be a dark movie. So dark that director David Ayer has hired an on-set therapist of sorts to help his all-star cast avoid from going too far for their roles. 
Quote, David Ayer is about realism, end quote. Adam Beach, who plays Slipknot in the film, told me at the premiere of Joe Dirt 2, Beautiful Loser. Quote, so if your character is tormented, he wants you to torment yourself. He wants the real thing, end quote. But he doesn't want his stars, which include Jared Leto as the Joker, Will Smith as Deadshot, and Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, to take their work home. Quote, we kind of have like a therapist on board if you fall off the wagon and really are villainous, end quote. Beach said, quote, there's a friend of Ayers that's very unique in making sure we have our ground, end all quotes. So yes, this is kind of taking the Dark Knight route, and they want everybody to kind of be like Heath Ledger, but not really take the character so far. So hopefully this really comes across on screen, and they're just not trying too hard, and it shows on screen that they're trying too hard. So we will see how it goes. And finally here, Alan Taylor, who directed the Terminator Genesis movie that we will be reviewing later on the podcast. Well, it turns out he also directed Thor The Dark World, which is a movie that I really didn't care about, and I felt that the filmmaking and the script was off, and it turned out it kind of made sense that I felt that way because Alan Taylor, it turns out, tried making one movie and then Marvel took the movie during post-production and created their own version of his movie. But this is from DigitalSpy.com. Alan Taylor didn't enjoy working on Thor The Dark World. Marvel was particularly wrenching. This is written by Justin Harp. Taylor famously took over the Marvel superhero franchise from Sir Kenneth Branagh with his movie going on to make $644 million worldwide. In a new interview with Up Rocks about his latest movie, Terminator Genesis, Taylor acknowledged that he had trouble complying with Marvel's hands-on style of filmmaking. Quote, I've done two blockbusters, and I've learned that you don't make a $170 million movie with someone else's money and not have to collaborate a lot. End quote. Taylor exclaimed, Quote, the Marvel experience was particularly wrenching because I was sort of given absolute freedom while we were shooting, and then in post it turned into a different movie. So, that is something I hope I never have to repeat, and I don't wish upon anybody else. End all quotes. All right, cool. Well, that is going to go ahead and conclude the news and bring us to... I'm the only one who hated it. Hi. Can I help you? Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. Yes, this, uh, this is the wonderful segment where we pick some kind of critically lauded and or... Uh, blockbuster film and we discuss how we don't like it and not only do we not like it we pretty much fucking hate it okay well my wonderful um attempt here is uh or in, uh, attempt god uh you know maybe we shouldn't record so late <laughs> um Yeah, my installment this time, because that's the same word, right? 12 Monkeys, yes, from 1995. This is a British-American neo-noir science fiction film directed by Terry Gilliam. Um, And this is um, 
starring Bruce Willis, Madeline Stowe, Brad Pitt, Christopher Plummer, and David Morse. Now, this, of course, follows the exploits of a man who is in a post, kind of like a, not quite post-apocalyptic, but definitely um, after a deadly virus has wiped out the world. And he's on a mission to save the world via time travel in order to do this. Um, And in one of the most Looper-esque, I think this is like kind of the original Looper, if you will, which is interesting because Looper also starred Bruce Willis. But... um, yeah, and in one of the most in one in the like original Looper thing, you, he kind of finds that he is sort of integral in the I guess kind of in the plot that released the virus in the first place. And it's just a really weird twisty turny movie. It's like um, and of course, this is from the mind of Terry Gilliam. And, and again, I, I um, am not the biggest Terry Gilliam fan, and I honestly was not aware when I originally watched this movie twenty years ago that you know about Terry Gilliam and all that kind of stuff um, because I wasn't aware of him as a director at that time. It's just for me, while this movie has an eighty-eight percent. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an 8.0 or an 8.2 on IMDb. It's in the top 250 of all movies on IMDb. For me, the movie itself doesn't have... It simply just doesn't have a good flow. And I understand that to a certain degree, that's kind of the idea. But... You you really have to kind of answer questions more along the way than just kind of dump it all in the last four and a half minutes. Um, you're just kind of left, for me, with a feeling of what the hell have I been watching for the last two hours? And this is a 129-minute movie. And it was definitely made at the height of... Uh, Bruce Willis's career for that time period, and it was definitely the up-and-coming Brad Pitt playing a very um, weird character, and again, acting, right? Um, And Terry Gilliam. So fans of Terry Gilliam, I believe, will enjoy this movie, and also fans of this dark-style 13th floor, dark world, you know, um, science fiction will also probably enjoy this film. And that's not to say that those other movies aren't bad or whatever. I actually kind of like 13th floor myself. But just the, again, the execution of this film is for me way all over the place, despite the message and despite how cool it was trying to be. I just couldn't get into it. I wasn't able to follow it. The flow didn't work for me. And the ending was kind of like, seriously, this is what we're doing now. I I hated it. I just, I hate, I hate this movie. I just, I don't like it. I don't want to be around it. I'm sad today because of the existence of this film. And now we'll go back and send it to the recesses of my mind where I don't have to think about it very much anymore. 12 Monkeys. I'm the only one who hated it. Well, if it, mean, if it means anything, I'm not a big fan of that movie either. And I, I am a big Terry Gilliam fan, so I'm with you on that one. 
Then again, I haven't seen it in years. Awesome. So maybe I should or should not revisit it. <laughs> All right, my pick is a little controversial, and I know I might be committing cinephile suicide because on the IMDb top 250 list, this one comes out at number 29. It is a very popular movie among film buffs, critics, filmmakers especially, because it is beautifully shot. But the film's pacing is so slow. I am, of course, talking about Sergio Leone's western Once Upon a Time in the West from 1968. Once Upon a Time in the West released after... The Man with No Name trilogy, or the Dollars trilogy. So Leone kind of, you know, made a name for himself. With this movie, he had a bigger budget. He had a a bigger studio backing the film, and that studio was Paramount. And I think it was Roger Ebert said that what makes this movie interesting and different from all these other westerns is that it is obvious that there is a bigger budget backing this movie because you can see the money on the screen. He puts none of the money to waste because every shot is well thought out and beautiful. There's so much going on whenever they go into the town. In the background, there's herds of cattle moving. In the foreground, there you know there's the close-up of the hero of the shot, and right behind him, there are these people walking and... Beautiful buildings, beautiful landscape, beautiful clouds and skies. It's it's a beautiful film to watch. But it clocks in at a little under three hours. And sometimes you just see too much of scenery. People walking towards the camera. People walking away towards the camera. People looking at each other. People thinking about reaching for the gun. And kind of making a move towards the gun and not really doing anything about it. And it just gets a little monotonous after a while. I still think the opening of the movie is one of the best openings of any film whatsoever because it's all silent and the opening titles come up during the opening as the three mysterious men are slowly taking over the train station. And then you finally find out that they're waiting for a train. But this sucker drags on for what feels like 10 minutes And it just gets a little, again, monotonous after a while because you start waiting for the next thing to happen. I first watched this movie some years ago, and I've always heard about it, and it's like, God, you know what, I really like the Man With No Name trilogy, I, you know, I dig Sergio Leone, I really like Jason Robards and and Henry Fonda and Charles Bronson. This is perfect, this is going to be a great film. So I sat down to watch it, and I fell asleep. Woke up and I thought, well, you know, I didn't think I was particularly that tired, but you know what? I'm going to give this movie a shot. I'm going to, you know, start it over and try it again. And I did. It took me five tries to watch this movie and I fell asleep every single time. Even on the fifth try, and I still had 10 minutes left of the movie, I thought, no, you know what? This movie does not deserve this. I have to watch it all the way through. I waited a, a little while to watch it again. I took Adderall to watch it, and I still fell asleep at least three times during the movie. I started it like at one o'clock in the afternoon, so I mean, I got a full night's rest 
I did everything right in the sleeping department. I was well nourished. I was drinking plenty of water, no booze. I ate breakfast. I ate a lot of protein, scrambled eggs. So I was there mentally. It's just the movie drags on. A part of that, it also is that there is so much, again, to love about the movie that it's just so damn frustrating. You know, unlike The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which The Good and The Bad and The Ugly, if you remember, Matt and I uh, reviewed it a year or so ago, the first two, the pacing in the story is a little bit more... Well, the first one, the pacing in the story moves a little bit quicker. The second one slows down a little bit, but you, the characters you're in, into so, so much that the movie is just fantastic. And the third one is longer. It's about two hours and 45 minutes. And there's a lot of the music, and there's a lot of the looking at each other, and the stare-downs before a gunfight. But the story and the characters are still very interesting. With Once Upon the Time in the West, it's borderline pretentious, which that even adds to the frustration as well. I don't necessarily hate this movie. And it's difficult for me to say that I don't like it. Now, why am I including it in my, you know, I'm the only one who hated it. Because to me, what makes a good movie, even for a movie that I don't really care for, but if if it has a movie that holds your attention, and I know that there are three-hour movies out there, there are four-hour movies out there that can still hold your attention and be entertaining and be absolutely beautiful and enthralling to, 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 to witness, to view, to experience. You know, th- those movies are do exist. And so... This movie, there is just so much love behind the camera. There is so much detail. It was just way, way too much detail. Once Upon a Time of the West, directed by Sergio Leone, 1968. People, you gotta watch it just to say you've watched it. Let me know if I'm wrong. Let me know if you kind of agree with me but still think I'm wrong. Uh, If anything, watch the movie for the look of it, the scenery, the detail they did put in the movie, because you see every motherfucking detail. By God, you have time to watch, <laughs> to view and study the detail. It's like you're looking at a picture at, at some points. But it's also the acting and the characters. Uh, you know, another great thing about the movie, real quick, are the actors. Uh, they play against type. Uh, Henry Fonda is the bad guy. Jason Robards is the tough feared character and Charles Bronson is the mythic character with a mysterious past which is always very interesting and so that is why this one makes it a little difficult for me to to fully hate or to fully 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 don't like but that is why I just don't like it so again once upon the time of the west Sergio Leone 1968 I'm the only one who kind of sort of didn't really didn't like it the end so next week, I think we are going to go ahead and revisit Ultimate Letdown, a movie that you were just really looking forward to seeing. And it doesn't matter if it was in the theater or the first time you saw it at home on, you know, like on HBO or you went and bought the, the VHS or the DVD or the Blu-ray just because, you know, oh my gosh, I've heard so much about this movie and I'm really excited. Or it was some actor, actress or something, just something that made you want to see a movie you were so excited. And then for you, doesn't matter if critics liked it and or audiences enjoyed it, but for you... You were just like, oh my god, what the hell happened? Ultimate letdown. Next week on the SLS cast. All right, and 
without further ado, I believe it is time for... The Movies! And this week's movies are... Terminator Genesis, Hector and the Search for Happiness, and Rosewater. So... Where do you want to go from here, sir? Where would you like to start, I guess, would be the better question. Hmm. How about Hector in the Search for Happiness? Alright. Starting off with the best one. Or at least for me. Really? Alright, Hector in wow. the Search Yeah. I, I honestly was not yes. expecting that. Okay. Let's hear it. <laughs> I'm excited. Alright, so, yeah. Alright, Hector in the Search for Happiness, 2014 British comedy drama film, directed by Peter Chesselm and uh, starring Simon Pegg, Tony Collette, Rosamund Pike, uh, Jean Reno, Christopher Plummer, and Stellan Skarsgård. Um, Hector is played by, of course... Simon Pegg. He has a wonderful young, uh, wonderful girlfriend by the name of Rosamund Pike, and they have a perfectly average and ho hum relationship. And while on the surface it seems that they are both happy with themselves, their careers, and their lives, both of them want a little something more, and it manifests fully in Hector, who decides that. He is really not happy and wants to truly understand happiness in the hopes that he can find it and to himself at the beginning be a better psychiatrist. He travels to China where he has where he meets a millionaire banker who shows him the the wonders of money. He moves on to a monastery where he learns where he witnesses the wonder of pure life. He moves on to Africa, where he has interesting experiences with uh, an old friend of his, and also some life-changing events happen, and also going on to America, where he wants to really try and bring home some unfulfilled and unfinished nostalgia from his university days. Now, this is a film that to me screams, I wish I was Wes Anderson. From the director's point of view, Peter Chelsea. Uh, and that, for me, was really, really, really hard to get over. Also, color saturation does not make for good cinematography. It has its uses. There are good points for it. But that's not the only thing that makes good cinematography worthwhile. There's lots of both of these aspects going on in this movie a lot. Um, the movie also tends to go from the fantastical to the unbelievable in terms of Hector's journey as he goes through this experience. Um, and it's really really, really apparent by the time we get to the beginning of the third act in Africa. But also apparent when he has his he has an experience with the millionaire banker earlier on in the film. Despite these flaws, at the core of this story is the idea 
that it really doesn't take a journey that Hector goes through to understand the happiness that can be found in your own life if you're willing to look for it. And I think that the, and it's very well acted. The characters are very, very believable, very fun. Um, I was really surprised given that the last time I saw Rosamund Pike, she was a conniving, murderous bitch. And this time she was not. (laughs) So uh, it was really good to see that aspect of it. In terms of all the other characters and everything, it was definitely very well acted. Um, I just, I, I just really wish that they had lightened up, especially on the Wes Anderson uh, reminiscence, I guess, for, for lack of a better term, or homage, or influence, or inspiration. But all in all, this is a really good movie, and I do recommend you check it out. Four stars. What do you got there, Tim? Yikes. I do not recommend this movie at all. Uh, I don't get the the Wes Anderson thing. I, I What this movie has going for it, really... You don't, you don't get the Wes Anderson thing? Really? Every no, it's single just... fucking thing in the book? All the animations? All the stupid color shit? The fucking Steve Zuzu character played by fucking Christopher Plummer walking... I mean, really? No, I. that's not Wes Anderson. I don't, I don't think that's what they were trying to go for. I didn't get that at all. Really what this movie had going for it was its talented cast. Peg is always fun to watch. Uh, usually all of his under-the-radar movies I enjoy because of his performances. Like Run, Fat Boy, Run, which is one of his earlier movies. How to Lose Friends and Alien People. All of those movies had a charm to it that was brought on by Simon Pegg. And same thing here. Simon Pegg is entertaining to watch. Rosen Pike is always a doll on screen. Maybe maybe not in, <laughs> not in Gone Girl, but mainly in other movies. She is a treat to watch. She's a lot of fun. And she's very pretty, and she can play these characters that are genuinely sweet, and then again, you also have, you know, Christopher Plummer, you have Tony Collette, you have all these good actors. But the story, the story is good. The script, though, is horrible. The filmmaking is not good. Like what Matt said, there's a, there's a lot of highs, there's a lot of lows. The movie has this fun, kind of bouncy feeling to it until he gets thrown well, until something very sad happens, the movie just hits a wall, and you really don't know what the hell is going on, why they were going for it, because it doesn't really bring out any real emotion. It's a plot device, and what brings you out of that slump? Well, it's something that is so obvious, and it's just a tactic for the story. Again, a plot device. So this movie is littered with it. And throughout the movie, he he learns these lessons, you know, the meaning of being happy. He learns all the different meanings and every other everybody's interpretation of happiness as the movie goes on. Well, everything was like a Hallmark card. Every haiku that was given to him was wrapped up in a pretty little bow and given to him on a, on a silver platter. Way too easy. For this type of movie to work, you know, this type of thing to work, the film needed a consistent tone and a build-up to the change in, you know, whatever it may be, the, the change of tone, the change in character, or even the change of story or the change of pace. 
it needed to follow more of a structure because you can't hit this wall and then pretend it, you know, never really happened and not really ever talk about it. You know, and only using that wall as, again, a plot device for another haiku or another lesson so we can move on to the next destination. And it was just a lot of little stuff like that. Just, to me, really didn't make the movie all that enjoyable, despite the excellent performances. So, at the end, I just give this movie two stars. It's, I mean, if you are a diehard Simon Pegg fan, watch it. What's the least that'll happen? You know, oh, you watch a bad movie that has really good performances. No big deal. So, two stars for me. Very good then, sir. Where would you like to go from here? How about Rosewater? Okay, Rosewater. Uh, 2014 American drama film written and directed by Jon Stewart. Um, based on the memoir, then they came, memoir, then they came for me by Mazer Bahari and Amy Malloy. Now, this uh, it's basically um, the account of Bahari's imprisonment in 2009 by Iran and his subsequent release. And I don't know. I understand. I, I after I, I did a little bit of research into the book, into Bahari, into uh, John Stewart, who reportedly actually had some script help from J.J. Abrams. And while I can certainly understand his being very influenced, John Stewart's being very influenced by the book that he read to the point that he really wanted to make this movie. Um, I'm not sure that he was the right choice for, for director. Um, I, I mean, again, this is as far as I can tell, it's his first outing as director of a, of a motion picture. And, I believe also his first attempt at um, a script. The movie has a very solid message. And I think that at its core, um, essentially retains everything that Bahari was trying to say from his book and from his experience. But I think it just fell into a lot of pitfalls in terms of the execution of the story itself. Um, I, I, I have not read the book, so I don't know if the book starts in a similar manner um, to the film. I don't believe that it does, based on what I read. But I don't like the whole oh, we're starting and why is this happening? And then, oh, well, let's just go ahead and stop right here two minutes into the movie and then bring you up to speed. This is not the kind of movie that needs that to happen. Just start. Let it happen and then let it unfold. Um, the movie did not really do a good job, also for me, of putting you in that psychological state that Bahari was in. And I think to be thoroughly effective, you need the viewer to be there. Otherwise, they're kind of you're kind of leaving them open to look around the scene, which isn't really good in a first viewing and kind of like, oh, well, what are we looking at? What's happening? Instead of simply being, oh my gosh, I cannot believe what is happening. 
That being said, there are really interesting performances and um, heartwarming moments, a couple of humorous moments, even um, in light of what's going on. Also, uh, th- but there's also some really serious moments of introspection inter- and reflectiveness that are played out in scenes where he appears to be talking to his dad in prison, talking to his sister and stuff like that, that I think are probably very well done in the book, but really kind of come off as a play instead of a movie on the on the film. That being said, the characters themselves are really interesting. And I wish there had been there had been a better way to kind of visit that. All in all, this isn't a bad movie. Um I, I do like the movie, but it it just has um it has the marks of being a first time written all over it. It's a good story. And I will just close that out by saying 3.25. Yeah, you know what? I actually re- agree with you. It didn't have that raw emotion that it really needed to, to suck the viewer in so that they could experience what is happening to him while all this stuff is going on. It's a really good movie, you know, which I think is due to the story, the message, and as well as the filmmaker's passion, and the obviously the source material as well. I think that Jon Stewart was a good choice. I could tell that this was something he really wanted to do. It got a little too politically forward at the beginning, too much in your face, which, you know, I never really like. I like it. I like things to be a little more subtle. And I know with this type of thing, it's difficult to be subtle. But there are certain things that you don't have to fully, you know, throw at your face that could just kind of happen without making sure the audience completely got it. But again, the movie lacked the raw emotion to really make me feel what the character was actually going through. But I did as well like the humor that was found in the situation which was mixed in with the seriousness as well. And so it made for a very good experience watching this movie. I thought it was a very good movie. But because of the lack of my involvement to the film on a on an emotional level, as well as the political forwardness kind of at the beginning of the movie, I didn't love it. So I'm going to have to give this one 3.75 out of 5. Which I think is fair enough. Okay. Fair Hey, it's your rating, buddy. You give it. You give it whatever you think you want. It. Not even whatever you think you want. You just give it whatever you want. Matt, you're really good at at sounding that you're serious, but I can't tell if you're being a smartass. <laughs> I'm just trying to inject a little levity. That's you know, you know, keep keep that energy up. We don't want to bring it down. Remember, that's what you told me before we started. Hey, I'm not bringing it down. down. You know, just trying to make sure we're keeping it high. You know, this is seri- Rosewater is about serious stuff, man. Oh, what? Maybe I watched the wrong movie. <laughs> this one had ponies in it, right? <laughs> and about uh, magic and friendship. And Last but not least, or actually last and least, I'm pretty sure for both of us. Uh, Terminator <laughs> Genesis. Yeah. 2015 American science fiction action film directed by Alan Taylor and stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jason Clark, Amelia Clark, no relation, Jai Courtney, J.K. Simmons, um, and some other wonderful people. Um, 
you'll uh, fans of Doctor Who will probably notice Matt Smith's glorified cameo in this movie. I thought J.K. Siemens did well as well. Did I say Siemens? I th- I think you said Siemens. Oh, if I did, sorry. It was definitely supposed to be Simmons. Anyway, <laughs> okay. So this is a movie that literally just takes the paradox that is the entire Terminator series and doesn't just double down on it, but like fucking triples down on it, shits on its head, skull fucks its brains out, I you know, and then just leaves you to say, I dare you to say, turn off your brain. um okay i mean the action is good the cgi is amazing um and it definitely gives nods to ostensibly every terminator movie that's been made including salvation even though it doesn't acknowledge it um directly and still tries to tell its own story This has also obviously been set up as the first in a trilogy, much like Terminator Salvation was, but it did not get its, um, it did not get its trilogy. I do not believe this one will get its trilogy either. Um, and I think the biggest reason why is because despite the fact that it's, it's fun and it is the popcorniest of popcorn flicks and gives nods to everything, you just can't you can't make a story out of something that has been handled so well by by the end of T2. That's why Terminator 3 didn't really do as well despite it being inventive. That is why Terminator Salvation didn't do as well despite it also being inventive and trying to bring a whole new angle to everything. And I actually I enjoyed uh Salvation. I realize I'm one of the few people that did, but I thoroughly enjoyed Salvation. But you just can't... This is just not a series that can be revitalized. I think people just think Terminator, and it's just so iconic, and it's so, um, you know, prescient in everyone's minds for pop culture for the last 20 years that pe- that they just they just want to keep coming back to it. But they realize you truly just can't go home again. And especially with the paradox. And they just they just totally keep going on and on with this paradox. And you just and that's why for this one I literally have to say you have to turn off your brain. Not I mean technically to enjoy it, but not because you simply can't enjoy the movie without it, but you, you just can't understand it because there's no way to make sense of the original paradox and then that's the whole point of this movie is the paradox building on itself now spreading into multiple timelines in which they try to make the paradox create more paradoxes on purpose and yet keep them all making sense it it just doesn't work that way so it's fun it's got references the cgi is great and for me um it just literally barely barely ekes in at three stars because i did i do have to say i liked it but it doesn't make sense don't try to make it make sense enjoy the enjoy the cgi and enjoy the nods to the previous franchises but don't look for anything else and don't look for a serious action flick that's going to turn into a um, another trilogy three stars so should it have been called terminator it's got references 
I think it should have been called Terminator Revelation. Since Genesis is the first book of the Bible and Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be the last fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Oh, was there a second book of the Bible? A, a middle uh, book? I think I'm pretty sure there's like 64 books in between, but yeah. So there could have been like 65 more movies if they were going to yes. name each movie after a book of the Bible. Oh yeah, I think I'd like. I, I, you know what? I think I would stick around for uh, for uh, Terminator Ezekiel. I think that would be <laughs> that's that's the one I'd be waiting for. Oh, which what's the book when everybody uh, has sex? Uh, Isn't that one of them? And they're like the Book of Orgy. And that oh wait, Kama Sutra isn't <laughs> isn't one of the books, right? No, I was literally trying to think of the one because uh, there is one like when they talk about Samson, but I, um, I that might have been like First and Second Kings or something like that. I can't remember where that's at oh. in the Old Testament, but yeah, they talk about sex and stuff in there too. It's great. Now only if Genesis had that, but uh, this is Terminator Genesis is the best looking worst movie I've seen in a while. I mean that because the movie is pretty bad, as in the story, but by God does the movie actually look really good. Like what Matt said, it has really good special effects. I saw it in IMAX 3D uh, because I read up on it, and apparently they said the 3D was really good. And uh, seeing it in IMAX, the biggest screen possible with the best sound to get the full enjoyment. And I thought, well, you know... I did want to see this movie. I like... I, I'm I, Okay, first off, I'm the guy who liked Terminator Rise of the Machines. More so than Salvation. Because Rise, or, yeah, Rise of the Machines fit more with the first two movies. You know, it's an action movie. And it's fun. And nothing is taken overly... It isn't taken way too seriously. Until the very end, where there is a big kick-in-your-face ending that was pretty ballsy for a movie studio to go with at the time, but it worked perfectly, and I thought it was a nice little ending to the film. But I was, and so I was looking forward to Genesis, hoping that maybe it would be something like Rise of the Machines. Something more fun, something not as complicated, has a decent story, but, you know, has a good, fun look and feeling to it. Well, it got the look down, you know, the whole stuff taking place in the 80s, it got the color right, the cars looked great, the scenery, the cinematography looked very nice, so it had a really neat style to it, even when they jumped to uh, the future, which I don't know if that's a spoiler or not, but it happens, they jump to the future, and, you know, it's, that even still looks cool, you know, the special effects carry over, and nothing looks hokey, even when it comes to the the robots or anything like that however the story is all over the place the logic behind the story is all over the place that there are moments where the characters are desperately trying to explain the plot to make sure you are there with them and you fully understand which makes jai courtney looks like a dumbass his character look like a dumbass because He's just, you know, he's just kind of like stuck with the audience. And I feel like a dumbass because, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that he's a dumb, his character is a dumbass because, you know, if I was him, I wouldn't know what the hell was going on either. And I wouldn't have known what the hell was going on even when the credits started rolling. So the movie's all over the place. And the first 10 minutes of the movie, I was thinking like, God, you know, 
if the first ten minute ten minutes of the movie was like the rest of the movie, there's potential here. You know, it could be fun. It could be entertaining. It could be pretty to look at, you know, to say the least. But it's not. You know, once the logic comes into play, once the twists and the turns start to happen, uh, and once you realize that everything you see in the trailer was pretty much the whole movie, there's really not much to ooh and ah at other than the look of the film. You know, and again, there's not enough wow or there's not enough mind-blowing stuff to cover up that crummy storytelling. So I give this one, ah, man, this is difficult because it's definitely a love-hate relate, not a love-hate, but kind of liked it and did not like it whatsoever. Um, About two and a half. Just okay. No, is that still being too generous? <laughs> yeah, but see, that, that, that's the thing. It's like, uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to help. I mean, no, 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 no. I know you're right. You're right. I, I seriously have been thinking about this for the past 36 hours, and it's been on my mind. Not really. Actually, I just started thinking of it this afternoon. So, okay, you know what? I I will go with two point. Uh, Five, 2.5. I will go with that 2.5. <laughs> right. Easy enough. All right. Well, that's going to be the movies for this week. Next week's movies are going to be Good Call, and Big Game, and Overnight. Now, Good Call and Big Game are VODs, so you can catch those on Amazon or your favorite streaming video service. Um, and then Overnight is actually a documentary that is actually viewable for free on YouTube. So... Check that out for next week. And I believe that does bring us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Yes. Oh, Terminator Genesis, I'm giving it 2.25, not 2.5. Spiel on! 2.25 in the last seconds of the show. <laughs> All right, so the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can even follow us on Twitter at the SLS cast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can get aboard the information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that is your heart's desire. You can, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. And <sighs> till next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Tony Collette, I get to say this. The better you know yourself, the better your relationship with the rest of the world. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk to you next week.
Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.